my prayer is that you would embrace these truths that will help us as we live in this day and age and every day. Take your Bibles and turn to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4. Recently, I was reading a humorous story that another pastor shared with his congregation, which he saw in the Reader's Digest. It is about a Jewish man in Hungary who went to his rabbi and complained, Life is unbearable. There are nine of us living in one room. What can I do? The rabbi answered, take your goat into the room with you. The man was incredulous, but the rabbi insisted. Do as I say and come back in one week. A week later, the man returned looking more distraught than before. We can't stand it, he told the rabbi. The goat is filthy. The rabbi said, go home and let the goat out and come back in a week. A week later, the man returned, radiant, exclaiming, life is beautiful. We enjoy every minute of it now that there's no goat, only the nine of us. (laughs) Perspective helps, doesn't it? And that is exactly what Paul provides here in this passage of Scripture. Perspective, verses 10 to 14. So I want you to follow along as I read these verses. Verses of which we are very familiar But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last you have revived your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned before, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know how to get along with humble means, and I also know how to live in prosperity in any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Nevertheless, you have done well to share with me in my affliction. And may God add his blessing to the reading of that portion of Scripture. At this juncture in the letter... The Apostle Paul was beginning to share his final words, and he does so by expressing his joy and his appreciation over the Philippians' care for him, the very gift that they had offered him. We see that in verses 10 and also in verse 14, which actually are bookends revealing this joy, this appreciation. It's stated there, first of all, in verse 10. But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last you have revived your concern for me. Now he affirms it again in verse 14. Nevertheless, you have done well to share, to have fellowship with me in my affliction. Your very giving is about fellowship with me in my affliction. And so he is filled with joy and appreciation. He had just exhorted the church to rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Back in verse 4. And now, by way of example, he is doing that before them. And yet, on the other hand, he also wanted them to know that he was content in his 
circumstances. We see that in the second half of verse 10 all the way through verse 13, which is the heart of this passage and conveys how a man writing from prison at this time can rejoice. He gives us his perspective on it. That word translated content in verse 11 there simply means to be independent of circumstances, conditions, or surroundings. In other words, one who is content is not controlled by these things and is actually satisfied in whatever situation he or she encounters. He said that very thing there in verse 11. And why is that? Because their resource is whom? It's God. You bet, it's Christ. That is exactly what is said by Jeremiah Burroughs, who was a Puritan writer. How many of you have heard of him? Okay, there's a few of you have. He's written a book, The Rare Jewel of Christian Contentment. It's an excellent book. It's small. I've read it. And I would encourage you to get it. Very helpful. But he defined contentment in this way. It is that sweet, inward, quiet, gracious frame of spirit which freely submits to and delights in God's wise and fatherly disposal in every situation. I think that's one of the best definitions I have heard regarding contentment. I'll repeat it. It is that sweet, inward, quiet, gracious frame of spirit which freely submits to and delights in God's wise and fatherly disposal in every situation. Beloved, is that your attitude? Is that my attitude? I would venture to say that there is a need for all of us to grow in contentment. And not just in regards to our physical substance, which Paul is addressing here in verses 11 and 12. For example, all of us have grown accustomed to a certain style of life. How would you respond if it was all of a sudden turned upside down? Like it has in the last eight, nine months. (laughs) Our lives have been turned upside down. How are you doing with all of that in your heart? In hard times and difficult trials, do you question God as though he had no right to allow it in your life? Now, I don't think you would ever say that. But do you behave that way? Do you have expectations of yourself and others that you cannot live without? Are you one who likes to be in control and what happens when you are not? (laughs) These are good questions. Questions that I ask myself quite often, which will let us know how content we really are. I've told myself, actually reminded myself and others that we need to live life with loose fingers and not be so tight-fisted. That's what our heart becomes often, tight-fisted. We want what we want and we start to battle with the Lord in our lives because we're content not in Him but in other things. And indeed, I will say to you that this is a learning process, all right? Just as Paul said of himself here in this passage of Scripture, we'll cover that here in a moment. And so from this text, I want you to consider with me 
three lessons. Three lessons regarding contentment. So that you may know the joy of the Lord no matter what your circumstances are. Three lessons. And I will say that all three of these lessons overlap with one another. There's a flow of thought here in this passage of Scripture. And one just leads right into the next one. But there are three lessons that we can learn. And I trust that you will embrace them for your heart. Especially in this time that we are facing now. Examine your hearts with these lessons. And may you grow by God's grace to be content. Content in this discontent world. The first one is captured there in verse 10. Let me read it again. But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last you have revived your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned before, but you lacked opportunity. What do you notice there? You may not quite see it, but it's underlining the text right there in verse 10. It's this. Like Paul, you must come to recognize the sovereignty of God in your circumstances. Like Paul, you must come to recognize the sovereignty of God in your circumstances. This is why the apostle said right up front, But I rejoiced, how? In the Lord greatly. He understood that the church's opportunity to once again minister to him, to show concern for him, had been revived through the Lord. It was like a flower blossoming that had once been dormant. (laughs) You see, this was a church that had an ongoing love relationship with the apostle. It truly did. In fact, if you go to 2 Corinthians chapter 8, Verses 1 to 5 there. Paul told the church at Corinth about the churches of Macedonia and how they gave to the Lord and to him and his ministry out of their poverty. They had demonstrated it through monetary gifts both early in his ministry and also more recently as we see here in this epistle. Look with me up at verses 15 and 16 of this chapter. You yourselves also know, Philippians, that at the first preaching of the gospel, after I left Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving but you alone. For even in Thessalonica, you sent a gift more than once for my needs. So he's talking about the past there. But then notice verse 18. He speaks in the present. But I have received everything in full and have an abundance. I am amply supplied, having received from Epaphroditus what you have sent, a fragrant aroma and acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. He is speaking in the present there. Epaphroditus came to him from the church at Philippi to give him a gift. And so he speaks to it there. But I want you to understand that what took place early on and what happened presently was about 10 years apart. Now, the reason for this gap in time, which the church was not able to show their concern for Paul like they wanted to, is uncertain. The text does not tell us. But I think, basically, is simply the fact that he was moving around a lot. And that they didn't know where he was at at any given time. 
and they couldn't send anyone to him. But I will tell you that in all of this, Paul was not overcome by it. He said there in verse 10, Indeed, you were concerned before. They had been thinking of him all along, just lacking the opportunity to demonstrate it. But Paul here knew more importantly that he was in the hands of the Lord who had his situation under control. God was providentially guiding the affairs of his own life and also the lives of others as to when and how his needs would be provided. And so he could rejoice here when he received in the present this gift from Epaphroditus because he had learned the lesson of God's sovereignty over and over and over again and to commit his situation to him. This is such an important lesson to learn. You know, George Mueller did the very same thing. Some of you have heard of George Mueller. He lived in 19th century Bristol, England, where he founded an orphanage. The writer here says he was firmly committed to the principle of not making his financial needs known to anyone except to God in prayer. He was extremely careful not to even give hints about his own needs or the needs of the orphanage. The children never knew about any financial difficulties, nor did they ever lack good food, clothes, or warmth. But there were times when Mueller's faith was tried. On February 8, 1842, they had enough food in all the orphan houses for that day's meals, but no money to buy the usual stock of bread or milk for the following morning. The two houses also needed coal. The next morning, Mueller walked to the orphanage early to see how God would meet their need, only to discover that the need had already been met. A Christian businessman had walked about a half mile past the orphanages toward his place of work when he thought occurred to him that Mueller's children might need some food. He decided not to retrace his steps then, but to drop off something that evening. But he couldn't go any further, and felt constrained to go back. He gave a gift that met their need for the next two days. Kind of reminds you of that verse I shared last week from Proverbs 21.1. The king's heart is like rivers of water in the hands of the Lord. He turns it wherever he desires. It was the Lord who worked on this businessman's heart to provide a need in that orphanage at that given time. Mueller learned the lesson of God's sovereignty, depended on him to take care of his needs, as God had promised in his word. And so, beloved, whether it be our monetary needs or another circumstance in which you find yourselves Know that God is in control over your situation. Proverbs 16, 9. It says these words, The mind of man plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. He has allowed it for your good and his glory and will carry you through. Isn't that what Romans eight twenty eight tells us? 
I believe as you sit here this morning, you know, (laughs) you know God's sovereignty. You've been taught it through God's word. The question is, is are you okay with the way he works in your life at any given time? That's the bigger question. We know it here, but do we know it here in our hearts? And can we embrace it no matter what situation we find ourselves in? I will tell you, if not, you will be frustrated, maybe even depressed, until you bend the knee to his sovereignty in your life and find contentment in him alone. I will tell you, through the circumstances in which we find ourselves right now, God is working in our hearts to find contentment in him alone and not in everything going on around us. Because in some ways, the world has sort of dropped out. <laughs> it's going in all different directions. And so may the Lord humble me, humble you, and grow us in this way. Let us learn. Let us recognize the sovereignty of God in our circumstances. Now to a second lesson. And we see it there in verses 11 and 12. Look what he goes on to say. Not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know how to get along with humble means. And I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry. Both of having abundance and suffering need. What was Paul saying there? Like him, you must come to rest on the sufficiency of God in your circumstances. Like him, you must come to rest on the sufficiency of God in your circumstances. And you know, the apostle basically said that in verse 11, and then he explained it in verse 12. You see, through his circumstances of living in prosperity as well as poverty, being filled and going hungry, having abundance and suffering need, as he says there in verse 12, he learned that his sufficiency was in God and found contentment. Twice he says here, I have learned, I have learned. That word translated learned there twice is different in the Greek. But they are synonymous. It has the idea of learning by experience. Being initiated into the situation and coming to realize that God is enough. That you can and must rely on Him. You heard these words from our scripture reading this morning. But 1 Timothy 6.17 says these. Paul was telling Timothy, Instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited or to fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. And so the question is this. Am I satisfied with what I have Or with him who provided it? (laughs) That's a good question. You know, I've said a number of times, I'm satisfied with life. Even though I don't have all the riches in the world, I'm satisfied with life. 
But let's just say that my life was just uprooted a little bit. Would I still be content? Because my satisfaction is not in things, but in God who provides those things. It's a good thing to examine our hearts in that matter. Today we live in a world that feeds our lusts. It feeds our desires. We tend to find our sufficiency in things, in people, my job, so on and so forth. But I will tell you in time, these things, people, will not be enough. Or they will disappoint us. And we will want more. Because we're not satisfied in God alone. In the week leading up to the election, there were a number of commercials that were out there. (laughs) We were inundated with them, weren't we? Yes. But one commercial that came from the Biden campaign caught my attention. He was saying sort of behind a pulpit to the American people that I'm going to bring the economy back. But the only way that I can bring the economy back to where it should be is to get this virus under control. And then he went on to tell us how he was going to do that. Basically, he was telling the American people, I'm going to be your savior. Now, folks, we know better, right? (laughs) Who's in control of all that's going on? And who has allowed it to be this way? It is God. And when he deems it necessary for us to be delivered from all of this, he will do it. He might use Biden in that process. No doubt about it. But our hope is in whom? Is in God, not the government, not some man. And even in our puny little lives, many times we become content, even with the small things that we have. But if it gets uprooted, are you still content? Because you know God who provides those things for you. Is your sufficiency in God alone? Beloved, God does not want our focus to be on our needs or our wants, but on Him alone. Serving Him and doing His will, just as we sung today, just before this message. When our sufficiency is in Him, things are not going to matter. And we will be content. Turn with me, if you would, holding your space here to Matthew chapter 6. We've spent some time here. A few months back in Matthew chapter 6. But I want to come back to it. These are truths of which we need to be reminded over and over again. And since we only have one service, I can take as long as I want this morning. Even in spite of the fact that we have communion. Alright? Let me just read these verses of which you are familiar. Matthew chapter 6, beginning with verse 25. For this reason, I say to you, do not be worried about your life as to what we will eat or what we will drink, nor for your body as to what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air that they do not sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth much more than they? And who of you by being worried can add a single hour to his life? 
And why are you worried about clothing? Observe how the lilies of the field grow. They do not toil, nor do they spin. And yet I say to you that not even Solomon in all of his glory clothed himself like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? (laughs) Jesus is telling his listeners these very things on the Sermon on the Mount. Verse 31, do not worry then saying, what will we eat or what will we drink or what will we wear for clothing? For the Gentiles, those who are lost, eagerly seek all of these things. For your heavenly father knows that you need all these things. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. So do not worry about tomorrow for tomorrow will care for itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. And even in our text, Philippians 4, what does Paul say to this church? Verse 19, a promise that we should all embrace. And my God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Can we bank on that? This is a promise. God does not lie. May we learn the lesson of resting on the sufficiency of God in our circumstances. So may the Lord lead our hearts in this way. And so there are two lessons that we see right off the bat in this text. Recognizing the sovereignty of God and resting in the sufficiency of God in our circumstances. But with this flow of thought, he comes to verse 13 where we see a third lesson. And it says this. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. What seems to be clear there? What's the lesson? Like Paul, you must come to rely upon the strength of God in your circumstances. You must come to rely upon the strength of God in your circumstances. The literal rendering of this verse is, All things I can do through him who strengthens me. The all things there is put forward. And flows out of the previous verse. Where it says in the middle of verse 12. In every, in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry. Both of having abundance and suffering need. And what is that secret so to speak? All things I can do through him who strengthens me. That's the flow of thought. Paul had learned through his physical times of poverty as well as prosperity that whatever God had willed for him in ministry, he could endure through him and the strength he provided. A great illustration of this is one, again, that we are familiar with. It's found in 2 Corinthians 11 and 12. So take your Bibles and turn there if you would. 2 Corinthians 11 and 12. I'm going to sort of summarize it here. In 2 Corinthians 11, 
verses 22 and following, Paul begins to share some of the things that he had gone through, some of the trials that he had faced. As you read that, you say to yourself, how can any one man face that kind of trial and come out of it? I mean, the average person would probably be put into a psychiatric ward. And this is what he says in verse 28 after saying all these things. Apart from such external things, there is daily pressure on me of concern for all the churches. Wow! (laughs) Who is weak without my being weak? Who is led into sin without my intense concern? And then he says this, if I have to boast, I will boast of what pertains to my weakness. Why is that? He doesn't tell us right away. You come to chapter 12, and he speaks about these revelations he has received. He doesn't identify himself. He is indeed speaking in the third person there. But then in verse 7, he says this. Because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, for this reason, to keep me from exalting myself, there was given me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan, to torment me, to keep me from exalting myself. It was God who allowed that into his life. It was ordained of God in his sovereign plan. Concerning this, I implored the Lord three times that it might leave me. It didn't. We have these words in verses 9 and 10. God has said to me, My grace is sufficient for you. For power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. That is a lesson that Paul learned. When God brought him into these situations where he was weak, and in and of himself he could do nothing except look up. That's where God wanted him. And God strengthened him. He came to know in a very wonderful way the strength that God provides. And it drew him closer to the Lord. We sort of have our modern day thorn in the flesh with this COVID, don't we? (laughs) Oh, it's a thorn in the flesh. That's why we're having one service today. Because more than half of our people are at home. Many have the COVID. Some are quarantining. Others are trying to be careful because of big families and affects their everyday lives. It is a thorn. So how are you responding to it here and at home? How are you responding to it? Are you relying on God to strengthen you just as Paul did? I pray that you are. Because the very strength that Paul received is the strength that you have. Where does that come from? Like Paul, you have the Spirit of God. (laughs) You have the Word of God to provide the inner fortitude that you need both physically and spiritually. You know, in Ephesians chapter 3, you have Paul praying for that power of the Holy Spirit to reside in his day-by-day life, to be pleasing to him.
We read in Hebrews 4.12, the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. It can reach the deepest recesses of our lives in a way that we do not understand and empower us. So we have that inner fortitude. Just like the Apostle Paul, it's no different. God wants to strengthen us in the various areas of our lives to grow us in sanctification. And you know something else? We also have God's people around us to minister to us. Isn't that what happened here in Philippians chapter 4? It was the church at Philippi that was ministering to Paul in this situation. And God used it to strengthen his own heart. He was encouraged by their heart in the midst of this. A church that was giving out of their poverty to minister to him. You know, this past week, I heard testimony from various people in our church. Oh, it just blessed my soul to hear how many folks in this body are ministering to those at home with the COVID. Praise the Lord. You can imagine the encouragement that you are to them and the strength that you're providing. And all of us together are finding our sufficiency in God And not in the government (laughs) and everything that's going on around us. God has a way of drawing our church closer and closer together so that we find contentment in Him alone and not in things around us. Indeed, through this trial, God is teaching you the lesson of relying on Him and His strength May you tap into your God-given resources and know contentment in Him alone. (laughs) And so, beloved, I pray that your heart has been encouraged and challenged this morning toward contentment. It has really challenged my own heart as I've thought about this over the last week. Just meditating on these truths over and over again. Asking questions of my own heart to see that my contentment is in God alone. Even repenting at times and saying, Oh God, I find that when I'm not in control, I want to have control. And I fight against you. Teach me that lesson of strength. Treat me that lesson of sufficiency in you. To trust in your sovereignty and know that it's best as you work in and through my life and your life as well. And so may you come to recognize the sovereignty of God in your circumstances, to rest on the sufficiency of God in your circumstances, and to rely on the strength of God in your circumstances. As I said at the beginning, these all overlap because there's a flow of thought in this passage of Scripture. And so as we go into communion, examine yourselves in light of what you heard this morning these truths we want to be doers of the word and not hearers only let's pray father thank you for your word this morning and just for the opportunity to think through this passage of scripture we're thankful that god you are sovereign And you work in and through our lives according to your will. Help us to find our sufficiency in you and to depend on your strength no matter what we are facing around us. May we be content 
in a discontent world. May we be as lights to this world that will look at us and say, how do you do it? It's because we know God. And to share the gospel with them so that they too might know Christ. God, fill our hearts with these truths. Help us to live by it. And God, bless this time now as we go into our time of communion, that it would just draw our hearts closer to you and to one another. For Jesus' sake, in his name we pray, amen.